Oh, wow. So good to see all of your smiling, wonderful faces. A week ago, I was, uh, the conference was over in Thailand, and I was asked to go to a little startup church that had only been around for about six months, and I preached to eight people. Eight people. But listen, okay, yeah. As I was interacting with them, it was only more like a small group. So I just sat down and we, we talked and I got them to talk back to me. I had an interpreter and we kind of just had a wonderful time. I had, had a little guitar and I played that and sang and it was a lot of fun. But as I was doing that, as I was ministering, God spoke something to my heart. And he said, these eight people, this little church is just as important to me as the biggest mega church that you can possibly imagine. This little church is a full expression of my body, just like any church like ours that runs five, six hundred or five or six thousand. It doesn't matter. God has his hand on them. I'm going to share a little more in just a minute. But we are now in part three of our series, The Promise. And I heard Dr. Thomason did a fantastic job last week. I appreciate that. He sent, he sent his notes to me in Thailand. He emailed them to me, and so I knew. I read them, and I knew it was going to be great. Folks, we are so blessed at New Life. I am so blessed as a pastor to know that when I have to be out of the pulpit, we have such gifted and anointed communicators of the gospel to fill this pulpit and I'm, you know, I think about Pastor Russ and, and Dr. T and, and Pastor Cody, my wife. Kat, and I'm like, y'all are probably thinking you can stay gone another week, Pastor. We miss you and all, but man, I'm telling you, it's, we're just so, so blessed, so blessed. So Thailand, um, if you are a guest here, I was uh, on the other side of the world for a week and a half uh, speaking in a conference there, and. Just to remind you about Thailand, the Southeast Asia region is in what we call the 1040 window. The 1040 window accounts for around 62 to 65% of the entire world's population. But in that window is less than 1% Christian. And in Bangkok, Thailand, where I was, there are more prostitutes than there are Christians. And so this conference that we did last Thursday, Friday, and part of Saturday, we brought in leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, youth pastors, musicians, singers. I get chills thinking about it. It's just 150 leaders from six different nations. Vietnam, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Miramar, Laos, and Thailand. I can't believe I remembered all those. And we brought all of these, the, 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 the... the people who put on this conference raised the money for them to come in free of charge. We, they paid for them to come into this conference, put them in a hotel, fed them, and we poured into them for three days. And I asked you to pray because the whole point of this, there's some of the pictures there, that was in an orphanage north in Chiang Mai. We were praying for the children there who have been through you, I mean, you can't even imagine the things that these kids have been through. Those are elephants. (laughs) Did you know elephants can draw? Where have I been? 
I sat there and watched these elephants draw pictures, and I was just like, what? Anyway, there, look, elephants! Elephants! Yeah. Anyway, back to the ministry part. I asked you to pray. I asked you to pray because in, in Asia, Asian culture, uh, honor is so important. And so these older men and women were, were reluctant to, to let go and, and pass the torch because they thought they would lose honor. I told you about this. And so the message was about that and passing the torch but keeping the honor. And God spoke to me about having them do a foot washing service. And does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that foreign? Okay. Uh, don't worry. We're not going to do that today. You're like, oh my God. In America, we're like, we get really nervous about stuff like that. I got to wash my feet before we do a foot washing service. Um, it comes from John 13, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples in an act of humility and servanthood. And so I had the younger generation to wash the older their feet and then and be praying for them. And then I had them swap and do that. And it was God came down. There was tears and crying and, and, and the, the anointing was so... I, it's in the top ten of my ministry times that I've ever seen in my entire life. God answered your prayers, and I so much appreciate that. I'm going to definitely be involved in this, and maybe some of you go back with me next year uh, to do that if God puts it on your heart. Uh, it's a long way. I'll just tell you that. I'll get more into that later, but it's a long way. I'm still trying to, my body is still like, what are you doing? Waking up at three and four. Anyway, wonderful trip. Give God praise for what he did, please. Amen. Oh, and by the way, at the, the orphanage, the orphanage that we went to, to visit, they just finished, uh, somebody paid to have a soccer field put in. And these kids were out there playing. And I noticed, because I have a daughter who plays, I, 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 they did not have any shin guards. And their, their ankles were beat to pieces. I mean, just bloody and beat to pieces. And they were just going at it. It didn't matter. And I told the person in charge, I said, New Life is going to buy every one of these children some shin guards before I leave. And so that's what we've done. Amen? They've, they've got it. All right, so last Sunday, Dr. T talked about some hindrances to the promises of God being fulfilled in our lives. Things like fear. Things like control. None of us want to give up control. Things like shame. And this week, we're going to find Abram and his family, his household, on another detour. The story is different, the action is different, but the root of it is the same. This root of fear, this root of control, this root of wanting to do it my way. Now, there's some treasure in this today. There's, we just need to pray. I want to pray right before we do this that God would reveal this to us and that it would be life-changing to us. Father, thank you so much for this time together. I pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. I pray that, Lord, I would decrease so that you can increase. Holy Spirit, speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16. I'm not sure what's going on with the screens, but just I guess we have this one now, okay? So just pay attention to that one. I think we're losing our side screens for some reason. Uh, we're in Genesis 16. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, you need to know that 10 years has passed. 10 years has passed since we talked two weeks ago in Genesis 12. 
when, when God met with Abram and said, through you, I'm going to build a nation, I'm going to birth a nation, and from that nation, the entire world would be blessed. How many know who he was talking about ultimately? Jesus Christ would come from that nation. Now, 10 years has gone by, and there's not been any sign of anything having to do with that promise being fulfilled. Okay, 10 years. So verse 1, chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. The Lord has kept me. And she says, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I, everybody say I, perhaps I can build a family through her. And of course, Abram agreed. Big surprise there. It's all right if you laugh. It's okay. It'll be all right. So we have Sarai here getting very impatient. She knew of this covenant promise that had been made by God to Abram. And nothing has happened in 10 years. And so she starts blaming God. The Lord has kept me from having children. And then she comes up with her own plan to produce this promised child. Now, this is not God's plan. This is not what he has told them to do. But they are tired of waiting. And I say they on purpose because Abram was right in there. And he was complicit 100%. All right, now everybody listen. People in general are impatient. Can I get an amen or an oh me? That's right. You are and I am. So when the promises of God, these things that he speaks into our heart, or even the things we read about, there are so many promises for all of us in the Word of God. And when, when we read about something or when God speaks something to our heart and it doesn't immediately begin to take shape in our life, we get impatient. We get tired of waiting. Anybody ever been there? All right, let, let, me, let me ask you to be real honest. How many may be right there right now? Come on. Yeah? The rest of you are lying. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. All right, listen, be careful during this season. This is a season where we can become very vulnerable to the enemy. We start manipulating and scheming and planning and trying to do things in our own strength. We all do it. But there's a powerful lesson here. Look at the screen. We cannot produce in the flesh what God desires to produce in the spirit. We cannot produce in the flesh what God desires to produce in the spirit. There is a spiritual thing happening here. A spiritual process that we cannot duplicate. We cannot make happen in our own. There's more happening than we can see with our physical eyes. And waiting on the Lord is a huge piece in this spiritual process. Let's listen to Isaiah 40 talk about it. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
In other words, his work behind the scenes, we can't even fathom what he is doing. We can't see it. I want you to know something. God sees the end of this thing from the very beginning. He sees the whole process. He sees the spiritual and the physical coming together. Where we're limited, we can only see certain things. But he sees the whole thing and we have to trust him. We have to trust him. I want you to know something. He has a plan A spiritual plan for your life. He knows where you are right now in that process. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through. He knows the obstacles that you are facing right now. But he is still working behind the scenes. And he will make a way if we will hold on to him, if we will trust in him, if we will wait on him. Somebody give him praise this morning. Sometimes you just got to praise him anyhow by faith, even when we don't see it. The prophet continues in verse 29. He says he gives power to the weak. How many could use a little of that? I could in my body about right now. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait, everybody say wait. wait. Come on, say it again. That's our word. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But listen to me very carefully. Waiting is more than doing nothing. Isaiah says that if you wait on the Lord, you will be renewed. You will soar. You will run. You will walk. Those sound like action words to me. Not sitting around. We've got to change the way we think about waiting. Look at the screen. Think about waiting in terms of serving instead of doing nothing. Got two of you on that one. Okay. Now, listen, this is not that foreign to us if you really think about it. If you go to a restaurant today after church, you're going to get a waiter who is also called a server. A waiter, if you go to a restaurant and they do nothing, they're not going to be a waiter very long. As we wait, we serve. As we wait, listen, listen, listen. We use what God has already put in our hands and we do what we know is right. Y'all don't know what to clap or not. Just, it's fine. You, you missed your opportunity. There'll be some more. Do you know that's how we come to understand the will of God in our life? We make the will of God. How many want to know the will of God for your life? Be honest. Raise your hand. I hope everybody. But we, we, we overcomplicate that. We, we make it a mystery. It's not. If you want to know the will of God for your life, you will wait on the Lord. And as you wait, you will serve God with what he has already gifted you to do, what he has already put in your hand. Do what you know to do according to the word of God. See, there are some general promises and some general 
instructions that all of us have. And when we hit the wall, when we don't get the details, when we don't hear specifics, we just go back and reset and start doing what the Word of God tells us to do until we hear something different, until we get specifics. What do you mean, Pastor? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe we start there. And not just saying it, but figuring out a way to demonstrate our love for God and demonstrate our love for each other. Maybe you start by serving on one of our New Life teams. Maybe you start by getting in a small group. Maybe you start by working with our children or our teenagers. Maybe you could start by greeting somebody out at the door, giving them a hug, or helping somebody park in the parking lot. You could start by being generous when we pass the plate. Oh, my Lord, he's in trouble now. Instead of being nervous and fearful, we start with what we know to do. Here's the point. Look at the screen. Start, we start walking through the doors that God has already opened instead of trying to kick down doors that remain shut. Start by walking through the doors that God has clearly opened instead of trying to kick down doors that you want and you think. There are a million things, a million things that we can do, be doing for God as we wait on God. And folks... In my day, <laughs> I've been the world's worst door kicker downer. You're looking at him. I've taken jobs I shouldn't have taken. I've bought homes that I shouldn't have bought. I've bought vehicles that I shouldn't have gone into debt for. I've made decisions I shouldn't have made all because I got my preference and my idea. And I'm like, I'm like Lord, I'm going to kick this down and then I want you to bless it. It doesn't work that way. There are people here this morning, I feel it in my spirit, that you know God is dealing with your life. God has his hand on your life. God has spoken specific promises and callings in your life, but you are frustrated this morning because you don't have all the details. You don't see anything happen, and so currently you are doing nothing. That is unacceptable. Pastor, come on, ease up a little bit, brother. I've just come from a mission trip. I'm always like this when I get back. Just deal, deal. It's not acceptable to do nothing. As you wait on clarification, as you wait on the details, we need to wait and serve the Lord. Start doing something. Because, listen, Listen, I didn't put this on the screen. Probably should have. Learning to wait on the Lord will prepare you to receive those specific promises that are for you and to carry those promises and do what God has called you to do. Look at the screen. In other words, God will not trust you with the extraordinary until you prove faithful with the ordinary. Don't sit around doing nothing. All right, let's go back to our text in Genesis 16. We are up to verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, we talked about that, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave named Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his what? 
his wife. Now, we know in that culture they had multiple wives. That's not a big surprise. But I want you to remember the fact that she became his wife, supposedly no longer a slave. Well, we just sang that, didn't we? No longer a slave, but his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Okay, clarity here. This is Hagar, pregnant, despising Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. So at first she's blaming God and now she's blaming Abram. Listen to how she puts this. I put my slave in your arms, not wife. And now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. My next point is this. Sin always divides. Sin always divides. This was not God's plan. These were not his instructions. And therefore, it was sinful. You know what the word sin means? It's easy. Missing the mark. Missing the mark. Well, they they didn't just miss the target. They missed the whole blooming thing. I missed it by a mile. Sin, sin always divides, and division is Satan's most effective strategy to abort the promises of God. His main goal is to get us distracted. And he doesn't care what it is that distracts us. It could be some horrible sin, or it could be something very mundane. His only goal, listen to me, his only goal is to get our eyes off of Jesus and back on us. Back on our preferences. Back on what we want. Back on our desires. Because he knows, he knows if he can get our eyes off of Jesus, he can lead us more easily into sin. And we will do stuff that we can't even imagine doing now. Thank you, brother. My friend right there. He knows. And the sin that we end up in, I'm preaching today. The sin that we end up in always leads to division, fighting, and anger, and strife. Come on, biology 101. It takes Two coming together to produce a child. If the two are divided, listen to me, that promise can never even be conceived. If we allow sin to mingle into our covenant relationship with God, our spiritual future, our spiritual promises are at risk. Sin always divides. As soon as Sarai and Abram excluded God and started trying to do things on their own and manufacture something on their own, sin entered the picture and all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose in that family. And the same thing will happen to us. The same thing will happen to our family. The same thing will happen to our marriages And to our friendships. And folks, the same thing can even happen in our church. If we get our eyes off of Christ, if we get impatient and we start trying to kick down doors and do things in our own strength instead of waiting on the promise of God. Come on. (laughs) Y'all, like, I'm not sure I want to clap because, wow. I know this is heavy. 
But see, I'm preaching this because I know there's families going through hell in this room right now. I know there's marriages hanging by a thread because of this. Because they've been divided, because, because people have taken their eyes off of Christ, because people have started to start do things in their own strength and in their own flesh. Verse 6. Listen to, listen to the language. Listen to the damaging language here because of what has happened. Abram says, your slave is in your hands. Not my wife, not the mother of my child. Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. This was a mess. And Abram was just as much to blame as Sarai, except now he wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to get rid of it. He wanted her just to go. You deal it. I'm going to blame with somebody else. I, I was wrong, but I, it, it's, I want to sweep it under the rug. I want it gone. I don't want any. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We end up, you know, falling and, and like we, we, we do sometimes. And, and then we want to own up to it. Come on. If you sin, I'm preaching. If you sin, if you mess up, if you fail like we all do at times, then grow up and own it. And then you go to that person and you seek forgiveness and restoration, if at all possible, for that person you have offended, that person you have hurt, you humble yourself and you seek forgiveness and restoration, and then you confess that sin to God and you receive grace and mercy and healing and forgiveness from Him. That's the only way a mess like that can be cleaned up. You cannot sweep it under the rug. You cannot ignore it. You cannot blame somebody else for it. If we want the situation to turn around, then that's what we have to do. It's the only way. Look at the screen. Casting blame only perpetuates the problem and delays the promise. Casting blame only makes the thing last longer and makes it worse and delays the promises of God even more. Verse 7. Aren't y'all glad you came today? <laughs> like, where's Dr. Thomas? <clears throat> Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the roar road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. She's talking, God is talking to her about her son, Ishmael. He would have 12 sons and they would eventually become the Arab race. There's a lot that I could preach here, but I would get off track from what I'm really trying to preach. So basically, I want you to understand this. This is important. We're almost done. Basically, Hagar receives a similar promise as Abram did in Genesis 12, that his family would be increased, but there was no blessing attached. She received a promise with no blessing. 
Here's a huge takeaway. Look at the screen. When we try to manufacture our own answer from God, we will end up with something natural instead of supernatural. When we try to do it on our own, when we try to do it in our own strength and in our own flesh, when we start kicking down doors that God has closed, eventually that door is going to open. But what we're going to find on the other side is a different version of the promise and it will not be blessed by God. A different version of the promise that lacks the supernatural blessing. Of God. Now, like I said, I flew to Thailand. And on a missions budget, you fly economy. And let me just explain how that works. On an international long flight like this, maybe you've not ever been on one. These are gigantic airplanes, okay? Huge airplanes. And so the first class folks get on first and then the business class, and then the cattle. (laughs) So they march you by the first class. Okay? You march by them, and they have these pods with this gigantic recliner that folds down into a bed. (laughs) Must be from somebody who's flown first class. With a gigantic screen for their movies. So you march, and they're sitting there when you, when you board with their drinks and their snacks and their caviar. And you walk, have to walk by like. <laughs> so I felt like. And then they, you go into the next section, which is the business class. And so these are just slightly smaller recliners with still like 20 feet of room in front of you and they fold all the way back and they have their big screen and of course they're sitting there with their legs crossed and they're st- because there's like plenty of room and so you walk by them and now they've come out recently with Priority Plus which are... Smaller seats, but they have more room, leg room, and you get a few more perks. So then we march by them, and they're all there sitting and enjoying a snack. And we're walking by them, and then we come to economy. And the chairs, the seats have been formed and made for a 10-year-old child. With that much space in between, the, it felt like that much space in between. And it's, it's like Forrest Gump, you never know what you're going to get. You could have a crying baby like two seats over the entire time. And by the way, let me just tell you, the first leg from here to Seoul, Korea is 15 hours. 15 hours! That should be against the law. (laughs) And then from there, a layover and another six to Bangkok. You might get a baby crying. You might get a a little kid in the behind you and kicking. You might get a 400 pound individual that hasn't showered in a week sitting next to you in a chair that should be a small child. and, And there you are. So what's the point of this whole thing? Listen, I almost forgot, but here it's good. 
that was kind of a counseling session for me just to get that out. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Yeah, fine, yeah. spend the extra money. No. Here's, here's the point. I was on the same jet airplane as the people up in first class. But I was experiencing a very different version of the same trip. When we get impatient, and we try to force the hand of God. When we start trying to kick doors down, we start trying to do things in our own strength, we end up with a very different version of the promise. It may appear the same at first, but what happens? It lacks the Almighty God's His blessing on it. It lacks His blessing. It lacks His anointing. It lacks His favor. It's a different version, and I want none of it. I want what God has for me. I want His promise and not my version. Hallelujah. The big idea, God will not bless what he does not produce. God will not bless what he does not produce. Folks, we must, must, must learn to wait upon the Lord. To serve him with what we know to do until he moves. Until those things become a reality. And we watch them pour out into our life, into our family, into our ministries, whatever it is. I promise you it will be worth the wait. Real quick review, because this was a lot. Real quick review. Number one, don't play the, the blame game. Don't play the blame game. Sarai got impatient, she started blaming God, and then she started blaming Abram, and then he started blaming her, and it led to bitterness, strife, division, and sin. Number two, we cannot manufacture the promises of God. Sarah, Sarah said, perhaps I can build a family. Perhaps I can build a family through Hagar. And it was a total disaster. And number three, here's the hope. Despite our failures, God still is at work. They eventually came back to God, and we know 13 years later, Isaac, the promised son, was born. Israel was birthed. And eventually, 2,000 years later, Jesus, the son of the living God, came on the scene. Somebody needs to hear me. As long as there is breath in your body, it doesn't matter how far you have detoured. It doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter the, the wreck and the hell that is your life or that is your family. It doesn't matter any of those things. As long as there is breath in your body, there is hope. What you need to do now is quit dwelling on it, quit thinking about it, quit, oh, what was me, and come back to the Lord. Humble yourself in His sight. Seek forgiveness, seek grace, seek mercy, seek His favor. And I promise you, he will put you back on a track towards the specific promises He's put in your heart. There is always hope. With repentance, there is always hope. With forgiveness, there is always hope. With Jesus, there is always hope.